0: Welcome into another episode of Real Pod Wednesdays. I'm Dan Hope, joined by Colin Haas Hill. Gonna spend most of this week's episode talking about Ohio State's defense for 2020. Less than two weeks away now from a start of spring practice, we've already previewed all the offensive positions over the last few weeks. Uh, so we're gonna to try to knock out the defense today, and then kind of move into a you know full-scale spring preview uh, next week before spring practices. Get started on March 2, but it's remarkably soon. It feels like it does, it, it always sneaks up on you, it uh-huh. always sneaks up on you, and uh,
1: every year I think like it's not going to sneak up on me. And then it proceeds to sneak no, up, I, on me.
0: Ab- absolutely. got the uh NFL scouting combine coming up next week as well, so I'll be in Indianapolis for that. Of course, Colin, uh, following the basketball team. Uh, getting closer to the end of the season and conference tournament ncaa tournament time so uh, getting getting to be a busy time again in uh, ohio state sports even though uh, we're still over six months away till the start of the next football season going to be plenty of stuff happening over the next couple months certainly spring football being one of the biggest things among them and we're going to get into previewing that but did want to start this week's episode by addressing the big news of the past week because uh, that news actually broke shortly after we recorded our podcast last Tuesday. It was actually shortly after I got home from us recording the podcast, ate dinner, and uh, was told that you know there was a situation unfolding with Amir Reap and Jocelyn Wint. So started looking into that on Tuesday night and you know, found out that they had been charged with rape and kidnapping by columbus police and they were arrested late tuesday night early wednesday morning ryan day made the decision to dismiss them from the team on wednesday on thursday they had their arraignment on charges uh, they were both given bond amir Reap at a hundred thousand johnson went at seventy five thousand dollars they are now out of jail, they intend to plead not guilty, but will have their preliminary hearing on Friday on those charges, and obviously the justice process can be something that, that takes time, so likely something that will unfold over you know a matter of months, and something that will continue to follow, even though they're no longer Ohio State football players, because I think it's our duty as journalists to continue to follow a story like this especially when you know dealing with the serious nature of, of the allegations that have been made against them but certainly shocking news something that came very unexpectedly last week and, and really the first major off field situation that Ryan Day has had to deal with as head coach because he did have to deal with the, the Brian Sneed situation a little bit, but that was that was mostly under Urban Meyer's head coaching tenure. He was dismissed from the university while Urban Meyer was still head coach. This is the first time that Day has really had to, you know, make a quick decision about something like this and he ultimately made the decision to dismiss them from the team which complex situation because they're still going to have their day in court they haven't been convicted of anything yet but i think he knew that he needed to act quickly and i think he made what really was the move that he had to make in this situation
1: yeah, he really didn't have a choice. Um, I, I I don't think that we can say, wow, great decision, Ryan Day. I think he made the choice that he sort of had to make. If he didn't make this choice, then we'd be saying, why Why wouldn't you make this choice, Ryan? Like, like, I think that that's sort of the way that we look at it. Um, when, like, when you read the details of the story, and, and, and there isn't a ton of it, there isn't a ton for us really to talk about with this, because, like, It'll all play out in court. Like, what's happened has happened. What will happen will happen. We can't, we can't, there's there no use speculating on that. Like, all we can say is really, like, you read what's in the, it, what's in the police report, and it is just, like, stomach turning. And I know that there is, um, sort of, some language in, in the article um, on 11 Warriors right now about just, you know, just sort of heads up about what's coming in the article because it's, like, it sort of makes your jaw drop um, in a way that you really don't expect. If it's true Mm
0: -hmm. what they've been accused of, they're not only going to not be playing college football ever again, they're going to be in prison for a substantial amount of time. Like you said, it is not our job to speculate on how this will play out. I absolutely do not want to get into that. But what they have been accused of is very serious. and, And you think back to... You know, Urban Meyer. One of his big rules that you know he he expressed to the team was: violence against women is absolutely not tolerated, and if you do that, you do not have a place on this team. And you know, this is Ryan Day taking a strong stance against that to say that this will not be tolerated. I do not want this in my program, a remarkably clean first year, really, last year, where he really didn't have to deal with any off-field scandals. But these things are going to happen from time to time, and as, as a head coach, you need to take a strong stance when these type of situations happen, or you get a reputation, much like i think urban meyer had when he was at florida you get a reputation of things are allowed to happen in your program and you're fostering a culture where things can happen ohio state does not have that right now ryan day does not want ohio state to have that and so it was necessary for him to take a hard line stance against this
1: yep he did the thing that, that anybody should do and um you know they'll sort of move on from there. Um, I don't really know that we can even really have a longer discussion on this because it's just it, it's just going to play out. No, I and mean,
0: we know that most of you want to hear us talk about actual football, and and, and believe me, we don't want to be talking about this. We, yes. if we never had to report on a story like this, we'd be happy because we didn't get into sports journalism to 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 report on these kind of stories we these kind of stories are not fun but it is our duty as as journalists to cover these kind of stories and come up and you know we do want this we do want to be able to talk about these kind of things on our podcast when they come up and certainly feel as though you know stories of this magnitude Are something that we should address but at the same time it's not something for us to analyze it's not something for us to speculate we try to save that for actual football
1: so you want to do the impossible transition to actually talking about a little bit of football here
0: yes yes it it is a difficult transition but as we said we we do want to get into talking about Ohio State's defense for the 2020 season because there's a lot to talk about there. A lot of changes. Going to have, you know, they only have a few returning starters on that side of the ball. With you know, Chase Young is gone. Devon Hamilton and Jay Sean Cornell are gone. Malik Harrison's gone. Damon Arnett, Jeff Okuda, Jordan Fuller are gone. So a lot of turnover on that side of the ball. And a lot of, a lot of interesting position battles and and different things that need to be sorted out this spring for us to watch.
1: Yeah, it's it's fascinating because you sort of it, it's very different from from what happened on offense. I think I think just largely when you, when you just look at what the offense has, your just eyes immediately go to Justin Fields. And Justin Fields returning is the defensive equivalent of if Chase Young returned. And they just don't have that guy on defense. They don't have that absolute stud. Now you can say Sean Wade and For all I know, next year at this time, we're going to be talking about Sean Wade as a top 10 pick, but point being, if he declared for the NFL this year, he wouldn't have been a top 10 pick. They don't really have that stud, and they don't really have um, necessarily the the depth of experience studs that you sort of look at the offense, and you look at Wyatt Davis and, and Josh Myers, they might be two of the best offensive linemen in the country. I think on defense, you just see a lot of potential and a lot of guys that we've sort of been wondering, like, what can this guy do if he's given a bigger platform? We're going to see that this year. Yeah, I think Sean Wade is a stud. I think it's a—I think I, I'm I'm going to say that Sean Wade's a stud, I think. That's safe to say—sorry, What? Sorry. I probably should have phrased that better. He's not the Chase Young, Justin Fields stud. Like, he's not the guy who I think just changes literally everything about your side, your side of the ball, if that makes sense. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think he is. I do think it's (laughs) – and I think
0: his return is absolutely enormous for this defense. 100,000%. In part because of who else they're losing in the secondary and in part because he's a really, really talented player who can do a lot of different things. I think – I don't think there's any doubt that he is the most important player on their defense going into the season. With with the lack of Mm -hmm. experience they have around him in the secondary, they need him to be a guy. He's going to move – we think from that slot corner role to, to playing that outside corner role. And they need him to be this year's version of Jeff Okuda. They really do because they don't... They I, I shouldn't say they don't have that elite pass rusher, but we don't know yet if they're going to have that elite pass rusher of Chase Young's level. And we don't know how well the rest of the secondary is going to play. So it's going to be really pivotal for Sean Wade to be able to be that guy who makes a huge impact on the game at what I would think is one of the most important positions on mm-hmm. the defense.
1: Position by position. You want to start up front a little bit because I know we've been doing this in recent weeks just one by one knock them down. I know we got five today.
0: Yeah well the defensive front is going to be interesting because as we just talked about they don't have Chase Young anymore. <laughs> yeah and you just
1: start there and then you just work your way around that.
0: I, I, I think the The feeling that most Ohio State fans have, and reasonably so, is that, well, Larry Johnson's the defensive line coach, and he's reloaded year after year, so he's just going to do it again. And they have talent. There's no doubt about that. But I also think it's important to keep in perspective that... This run they've had from Joey Bosa to Nick Bosa to Chase Young, those are three guys who are absolutely special, special players. Those are the type of players that you typically – you're only supposed to have one of those guys in a generation. And they've had three of them.
1: Back to back to in, back. In five years. And the, and, the guy, and the last guy to do it was arguably the best offensive player in Ohio State history.
0: Yeah, I think at least you can say arguably the best – season that a defensive player has had in Ohio State history so those are enormous shoes to fill and to me I I think to expect that there will be no drop-off when you lose a player of Chase Young's caliber to me that's almost an unrealistic expectation
1: no I'm not really sure how you could how you could say that I think that um just looking at the defensive ends I think that when we think of who can be the next Chase Young, your eyes just immediately go to Zach Harrison yep. because he came in as this physical freak that you've known about since he was 15 or 16 years old back when he was like a, a sprinter, a six foot six, 240-pound sprinter, uh, which is a fascinating photo to go back if you want to go back and look at those pictures. Um, but I think he had five sacks last year, and, and he, he, started, um, he started in the Fiesta Bowl. Which was the last game of the year and the fact that larry johnson actually put him out there to start i think tells you a lot about what he thinks of him. but he wasn't chase young last year like we'd be totally lying to you if we said um he was even sophomore chase young because sophomore chase young had ten and a half sacks without anybody else um, on the defensive front getting consistent pressure the way that he was can he be that i think he can will he Hard to know right now because we haven't even seen him go through spring practice. I think there's, I think there's an incredible amount of potential in that body. Absolutely. I think sophomore Zach Harrison
0: is capable of being sophomore Chase Young. I do too. I don't, is, I don't think sophomore Zach Harrison is going to be junior Chase Young. Yes, because
1: and that is a clear distinction. That is the distinction between a great pass rusher and an all-time great pass yes, rusher. Yes, yeah, and a a Heisman
0: Trophy finalist unanimous all-american bronco nagursky and chuck Bednarik award winner i that would be a incredible jump for zach harrison to make as a second year player and i and i don't think that's a realistic expectation for him but i do i do think sophomore chase young is well within reach for sophomore zach harrison because he does have that similar kind of physical ability like you talked about that size that speed he's that rare kind of physical specimen and i think the way he came along as a freshman is very encouraging because he played a lot more as a freshman than you typically see for a larry johnson defensive lineman and like you said even started in the biggest game of the year so i think that's a big indicator of you know how far along he is and how confident they are in his potential but i i still think there's going to be a drop off from chase young and i think i think it's going to have to be more of a committee by approach where i think you know last year it was so much just about what chase young could do I, i think zach harrison is is the leading candidate to kind of make up for what you lost with chase young but I think you also need Illinit, your other defensive Avidor ends,
1: Rice, whether that's Ilanet Avidor Rice. Avidor Rice needs to go to the front of the library, apparently. Well, that's not us, but uh, I hope she makes it.
0: Beyond, beyond Zach Harrison, I think Tyreek Smith is certainly another guy that you look at who can fill some of that pass rushing void. Jonathan Cooper, of course, you're coming back for another year. You know that's an unexpected. Benefit that you have, and and he's going to be a crucial guy, especially you know for being a veteran leader with some experience on that defensive line. And Tyler Friday's is another guy who I think will will play a lot in that rotation. But I think you're going to need multiple guys to step up. It you you, you can't put it all on Zach Harrison.
1: Yeah, that's the key. Um, I actually just looked at it. I actually overshot the amount of Zach Harrison sacks. He actually had three and a half, which reminded me nobody else had more than three and a half sacks. He was a defensive end last year, which is remarkable because if you remember during the season, there was all this talk about, well, here's how Chase Young benefits the rest of the team. He gets all the attention then everyone else gets one-on-ones and they get to go rush the passer or two. That didn't actually really happen on the other side of Chase Young. Zach Harrison had a, had, a, had a solid freshman year, a really good freshman year compared to most freshmen, but compared to the, the average Ohio State starting defensive end, I think it was just solid. Um, Tyreek Smith had three sacks as well. Jonathan Cooper didn't play a ton. I think if you want to look for growth, I think you just have to look for who's going to be surrounding the stud pass rusher. And I think you need both the stud pass rusher And the secondary guys. And last year, Chase Young was so freaking good that you didn't really need a ton from the secondary guys, and they didn't get a ton from them. This year, I think that there's a reasonable expectation that Zach Harris can can be your number one pass rusher. And I think that I'd have questions about who that guy is if it's not Zach. Um, I think Tyreek could maybe be that guy, but we just really haven't seen that from him yet. He's maxed out at three sacks in a season. Um, Beyond... Beyond those guys, like I, I do think that Tyler Friday, now in his third year, and Jonathan Cooper in his fifth year, like I think that you just have enough depth right there that that's where the growth can come from, and that's where the other pass rushing can come from in a way that maybe you didn't have last year. And they do have really good depth at
0: defensive end. They've got Javante Jean-Baptiste as well, who, who saw some playing time last year. Noah Potter's a guy going into his second year who who could play, I and mean, you know, you've got some freshmen as well. Uh, Darian Henry, Young, Jacoby Cowan, Ty Hamilton, all coming in. So they've, they've got a lot of options at defensive end. They've got a, a lot of different guys who could theoretically work into that rotation this year. But I think those, I think that those first four uh, of Jonathan Cooper, Zach Harrison, Tyreek Smith, Tyler Friday, I think that's going to be the core of your rotation. It's really going to be those four guys who really need to step up. And, and I think Coop and Tyreek are, are, are the two guys in particular that I look at as guys who are highly touted recruits, guys who I think have been hyped up for a couple of years now, and I think this is the year where y- you really need to see it from them, where they they really need to take that next step and become the players that they've been supposed to be. Because I think both of them would, ad- would admit that they haven't quite become the players yet that, that they believe they're capable of being.
1: Yeah, Tyreek Smith is fascinating because when I talk about finding that pass rush you can build around, like Tyreek Smith may be that guy. Like There is a chance. Like He was a top 35 overall recruit who's in his third year. I think a decent chunk of the reasoning of, of why he maybe hasn't had that breakout yet is, is injury luck. Um, and if you get over that and if you stay healthy – Maybe there's a chance that, that you get to become the, the player that you want to be. Cooper's fascinating to me, though, because if you had asked me, I think if we had this conversation a year ago and we were talking about Jonathan Cooper, I know that you know that I would have said, well, he maybe we know who he is. Maybe we know who he is right now, and, and that's, a, that's a great leader who is really good against the run, who is a fine pass rusher, but who isn't really going to be lighting the world on fire. I think he had maxed out at two and a half sacks. We didn't really see a healthy Jonathan Cooper last year. It will have been well over a year, since, two years basically, since we had seen a healthy Jonathan Cooper by the time that he actually suits up and plays. He's a little bit of a wild card. And you really never say that about a fifth-year senior who's a two-time captain, which he will be. But I'm not 100% sure what, what they're going to get out of Jonathan Cooper. and may, like, Can he take it to the next level? Can he be like an eight-sat guy? He, maybe. Maybe. And, and really, that's what they need without Chase Young. They need a couple of these guys to take, take the strides that you had mentioned.
0: They do, and I, I think the same,
1: can,
0: the same is absolutely true at defensive tackle, where you look at that group, you're losing Devon Hamilton, Jay Sean Cornell, and Robert Landers from last year. Without Chase Young, again, those guys just become more important and i think i think the first guy you look at if you're looking at a breakout star in that group i think the guy everybody's going to look at is tommy togei because i think he's a guy who has probably been ready especially this past year to be more than the third string nose tackle but he's had to wait his turn behind devon hamilton and bb landers but I think he's very capable of being an elite nose tackle, and and now he's going to get that chance to prove it.
1: Yeah, I love watching him. I think when you think of um, the strongest guy on the team, which is now what he's been tabbed for well over a year, you sort of think about this. I don't know this big chunky meathead of a guy. Like Tommy Togia is really quick, and he's he's pretty fast down the field too. Like he he's like a bowling ball essentially to me, and and he's he's fun to watch. I agree. I think his ceiling, his ceiling is pretty high, and the interesting thing about this year is, you know, last year Devon Hamilton had an amazing season that I really didn't see coming. Um, Robert Lan- Robert Landers is really solid. Tommy-, Tommy Togiai was really solid, but they're all rotating. I think Tommy Togiai has a chance to take more snaps than really any of them did last year because I think Antoine Jackson is really the only other guy in the mix who I think is probably going to be rotating with him.
0: The reality is their numbers are a little down right now. They the are, yeah. especially
1: at nose tackle.
0: Because they only have six guys on scholarship right now who are for sure the defensive tackles. And those are Tommy Togiai, Antoine Jackson, Haskell Garrett, Teron Vincent, Jaron Cage, and Jaden McKenzie. And in terms of guys who have actually seen a lot of playing time, the only two guys who really fit that bill are, are Togiai and Haskell Garrett, who has rotated in at that free technique spot. And... He could be the starter there. I think Teron Vincent is a guy who we expected to play a big role last year. He tore his labrum and ended up missing the entire season rehabbing that shoulder injury. But he's a guy that they really need to come back strong and to be able to make a big impact if that free tech spot to make up for losing Jay Sean Cornell?
1: Yeah, I think um, when people look at Tommy Togiai and then they look at Teron Vincent and they just see this potential of what they can become, I think people might get, get a little bit too giddy about what's to come and not really appreciate what they what, what they had last year. Like, I think that that's in play. Now, there's also the side that, like, if Tommy Togiai and Teron Vincent just have total breakthroughs, Yeah, I think they could be an improvement from last year, but we just got to keep in perspective and and remember, like, Devon Hamilton is going to be a third or fourth round pick, and to be honest, like, I'd take him pretty high. I thought Devon Hamilton was about as dominant as you could really have from a low-ranked nose tackle who you didn't really think a ton of, who's in his fifth season, and he breaks out that late, and I thought Sean Cornell was really solid too. I think that this group... Is a pretty high ceiling, and I think the floor is a, a little bit lower than, than what Ohio State had this past year. I absolutely agree. I
0: I I I, I mean, I've nothing against those guys, but I think a drop off is more likely than an up- improvement this year because I just don't think they have a ton of experience there. They don't have a, a ton of proven guys there. Like I said, I think I think Tommy Togiai is going to be excellent. Yes, I think Tron. Vincent I think Tron Vincent be, can be, but. He's played, I mean, I think he played 90 snaps or something as a freshman, so he's totally unproven, and we're talking about him as a potential starter. Haskell Garrett's another guy who's talented, but he's another one of those guys like a Jonathan Cooper, Tyreek Smith, where I think now we need to see it. He's a guy who's now a senior, and I think he's played okay, but I don't think he's... He's really done anything at this point in his Ohio State career. Like, and he was a
1: top seventy-five. If you were going to think right of, high school,
0: of what's the most memorable play in Haskell Garrett's career, you, I, I couldn't name one. It's, yeah, it don't just say that. it just hasn't happened yet. So he's one of those guys. Antoine Jackson, another one of those guys. But you know, they need to take that next step. That those are guys that are going to be top four defensive tackles on this team next year, unless Jaron Cage or Jaden McKenzie makes a big move. So they need guys to step up we know Larry Johnson wants to be rotating at least two guys at every spot they really need multiple guys to really step up in a big way and and that starts this spring
1: Mm -hmm. and when I think of when I think of defensive tackle like how can they be as good or better I'm not really sure that they can get to that point without Teron Vincent being who we think Teron Vincent might be able yeah, to be. I, I agree. I think he's really the swing guy in this room. Like if Teron Vincent, if if he has, if he if the injury still is bothering him a little bit, if physically he isn't where he wants to be in his third year, which is really important for someone on the line, and that's something that we just don't really know right now because we haven't seen him on the field. Like if these are things that are holding him back. I'm not I'm not 100% sure that the defensive tackles will, will take a step forward this year. And I also think this spring, one of
0: the things that you're going to be evaluating is, Larry Johnson, is if those defensive tackles aren't where they need to be, then who can you move inside from defensive end? Because they've got a lot more numbers at defensive end. You know, I think you look at the freshmen who just arrived. I think Darian Henry Young and Jacoby Cowan are both guys who could potentially end up at defensive tackle if they need them there i mean even a guy like tyler friday is big enough where you could theoretically put a little weight on him and move him into that free technique spot kind of like jay sean cornell moved back and forth so i think that's something that you have to look at as well i think you're going to enter spring playing those guys at whatever positions you think are best for them but i think you have to you know maybe experiment a little bit and look at wherever there's guys you can kick inside to beef up that interior depth a little bit
1: Yeah, I think one thing I'd mention, too, um, is last year the Rushman package didn't die, but the Rushman package changed, and there weren't a lot of packages where there's four defensive ends on the field. I think that this year you're going to see the Rushman package return in a big way. Completely agree. Because you've got Zach Harrison, Tyreek Smith, and Jonathan Cooper – all of whom i think are going to be on that package and i think tyler friday like you said he's got a defensive tackle-esque body in the same way that the taekwon lewis did i remember he told me that he used to be called baby taekwon back when he was a when he was getting recruited
0: yeah i i I think it'll be more like it was a few years ago i think there will be packages where those four defensive ends are all on the field together yep i think i think that'll be and they're all big enough guys where they we we've seen them all line up inside at times, so they can all. It's not like two of them have to play defensive tackle in that package. They're all versatile enough guys where you can move them around in that package, and they can each play the different roles in that rushman package.
1: All right, before we move on, do you want to hit on each of those two positions? Who's the one guy who you're most interested to see in the 12 minutes of spring practice that we watch? Sure, I mean I got to go with Zach Harrison at defensive end
0: because you know we talked about you know his upside. Can he take that next step? to become that superstar this year, I mean, he, he, my eyes are absolutely going to be on him in the spring.
1: Yeah, I'm absolutely fascinated with him and, and the other two, um, Tyreek Smith and Jonathan Cooper. But to, to pick one of those guys, I will say Jonathan Cooper because I just think... He's a little – I think there's a chance that he's different than the guy that we saw last time. He, he was really healthy on the field when we saw him in his, in his junior year at Ohio State, which will be back in 2018, which by the time that he plays in 2020 is going to feel like a lifetime ago. And defensive tackle, for the same reasons I picked Zach Harrison,
0: I will say Tommy Togiye because I do. I think he has, he has the ability to be an elite player at that nose tackle position, and now that he's going to be on the first-team defensive line – I'm intrigued to see what kind of player he can be this year.
1: Reasonable. I'm going to go with uh, Tyrone Vincent just because I think he's the swing guy there. Like, I think he could make them better than last year, and I think if he maybe isn't the guy who you hope that he becomes, then I think that they're probably going to be worse than they were last year at the position. Moving forward to the linebacker
0: position, I think if you just look at the list of names, to me, I think, I think this is probably the deepest position on the entire team. You've got a lot of different guys. Who can play at this position? And that starts with Tuff Borland and Pete Werner, both now third year starters at this point. I'd fully expect that Tuff Borland will be a starting middle linebacker this year. Pete Warner will be a starting Sam linebacker this year. Baron Browning, he's also played a lot the last couple years. My guess is he will move out to weak side linebacker and and take Malik Harrison's spot in the starting lineup. But you've also got a lot of other guys that are pushing too. You've got three junior linebackers in, in Taraja Mitchell, Dallas Gantt, and Kayvon Pope who I think are ready for more playing time and are, and are guys that you need to look at how do you get them on the field this year. You've got Justin Hilliard who's back for a six-year of eligibility, and we saw him you know, play some significant snaps last year in their four linebacker packages. And then you've even got young guys like, like Craig Young, who who burned his red shirt last year, which indicates that oh, Ohio State thinks he's a guy who can potentially play early.
1: Yeah, it is a packed group, where I think I, I think the a reasonable wonder is all right, where's their star linebacker gonna be? Like who's gonna be the really good impact guy? Um, I hope this uh, they're not coming for us. <laughs> these sirens. All right, fast, we're good. Um, I wonder who's going to be like the stud out of this group because I think there's a lot of frontline depth, a lot of a lot of veteran depth, like an incredible, otherworldly amount of veteran depth. Where they have, I think they have one, two, three, four, five, six. They have seven upperclassmen linebackers, and I think last year at this time we were wondering if they were going to have two linebacker positions. Turns out they, they, they they're they're going to largely play three linebackers. But I think my main wonder is. How in the world are they going to keep everybody happy and on the field? And Are they going to do more rotating than last year? How do you necessarily do that with this many guys? I don't know. I I think this is one of the more interesting groups for for at least spring practice on the team. Yeah, it's a really interesting balance to
0: strike because your first question is very valid. Do they have a Malik Harrison in this group? I don't know. I don't know if they do this year. Baron Browning has tons of potential, but... He still hasn't quite played up to that five-star ability, so for me to say that you know he's going to not only replace Malik Harrison but be the same level of player, I, I, I'm not quite there. You know, I, if I were to predict who's the guy who's going to play the most snaps at linebacker this year, I'd predict Pete Warner because I think he's a guy that they really have a lot of trust in, and we saw it last year. Pete Warner basically killed the bullet because they wanted him on the field in passing situations. So I I think Pete Warner's going to be a mainstay on the field at that Sam linebacker position, unless someone really comes along at that bullet position. But I think that would be more somebody who groups into the safeties right now. If they were to do that, then it would be another linebacker. I think at middle linebacker, they're probably still going to want to rotate with Tuff, even if Baron Browning moves to Will. Taraja Mitchell is certainly a guy that I think people are excited to see play. And I, I, I think there's a very good chance that, that Barron moves outside to Will. Well, I shouldn't even really say outside because they're basically both inside linebacker positions in Greg Madison's defense. So uh, they're similar positions. That's why he can make that move. But I think if Barron makes that move, you'd expect to see Taraja work in there in a rotation with Tuff. Then if that will spot as well, you've got Dallas Gant, who's another guy who I think is ready for more playing time. Kayvon Pope is a guy who made some big plays when he was on the field last year, and you don't want to forget about him. So they've got a lot of different options. They didn't seem to be overly inclined to, to rotate at the Will and Sam spots last year, but they certainly have the guys to do it if it's something they want to explore.
1: Yeah, it's a good point by you that last year they, they had the chance to rotate, and they just didn't. And it, and it makes you wonder, was it because Al Washington didn't want to rotate his linebackers, or was it because the linebackers weren't ready to rotate? And that's hard for us to really know because we're not in there, and and Al Washington will never say uh, these guys aren't good enough to play. <laughs> that's, that would be a bad decision on his part. Yes, He's not going to ever do that. Um, but – um, I think just position by position, so at Sam, Pete Warner is about the number one lock that we have at this group, that Pete Warner is going to start, he's going to play the most, and he's really not going to come off the field because the, they they really love him. They do. They they, they love him in a way in which uh, he essentially killed the bullet last year, and I, and I don't know what their plans are necessarily with the bullet, and, and I think that's an interesting discussion that we've had and will continue to have because it's a fascinating one of what what in the world they're going to do with that position? But he's going to play a ton. Middle linebacker. I know Tough Borland's a, a much maligned uh, player. I know people like to criticize him online. The internet commenters. Not what? not not big. Wa- critical online. Call? Yeah, I know. This wow. Is, this this might be a shock. Wow, I can't believe it. Yeah. Um, he's going to start it. He's going to start at Mike. I agree with you that I don't think I don't see the the Baron Browning Tough Borland combination going forward much more. Like I think I think I think Baron Browning is going to get a chance to start, and I think that that chance is going to come at weak side linebacker because Tough Borland's the guy at Mike. He's going to be a three time captain, the second ever. In a and I think if
0: Baron doesn't start this year, that's a disappointment because this is a five star recruit. This is the guy who is supposed to be a superstar. So as a senior that's a guy you want in your starting lineup not as a rotational player
1: yeah at a high school you imagine that he he's in the same chase young jeff okuda sean wade type of um stardom becoming a first round pick and he has those physical gifts i think when you see him on the field i think maybe a little bit too often you see him out of position and i just wonder like a guy with those physical gifts you just got to do something with them and if it's starting at will, if it's just putting him in certain packages, if it's rushing him more, if it's putting him at defensive end, I'm not sure exactly how you do it, but I think you just got to get him on the field somehow, somewhat. Yeah, and I think he was absolutely at his best last year when he was playing downhill. I think when he's
0: yes. put in positions to blitz, I think he's a fantastic blitzer. I think he's you know really, really good at making plays around the line of scrimmage. Yeah, I think he's still shaky in coverage. Um, you know, I, I think when he's in space, I, I think he can make mistakes. And so that's why I don't I don't know that I see him as an every down player, like Malik Harrison was. I I, I think there's a, st- a step in his development that needs to happen for that to happen. And I don't know that it needs to happen, because they have so many other guys, but I don't I don't I don't think you need to force your starters into being every down guys if, if that's not what they are. But I, I would expect Barron's role to increase. I, I, I think I, I think you know he it, again, if he's not a starter this year, that would be a disappointment. And I think he has a chance to, you know, maybe play the second most snaps that linebacker this year.
1: Yeah, and continue on the on the middle linebacker thing. So there's Tough Borland, he's going to start. My question is, if it's not Baron Browning, who's going to be the guy they're rotating with him or backing him up? I mean, the guy who immediately comes to mind is to Roger Mitchell. Yeah. He was a former top 50 recruit. My question there, though, is, is he just too similar to Tough Borland? on the field did, did they play i mean the, the interesting thing about tough borland and baron browning is that they're pretty different players like baron browning when you think of him he's a physical marvel he is super fast he's super big when you think of tough he's more the old school big 10 linebacker maybe a little bit slower but like they always say he gets the defense set up he gets he puts people where they need to be
0: yeah i think that's a that's a good question we, we saw it last year where tough and baron would rotate and where they Basically played the same role on early downs, but when they moved into their passing packages, Tuff was almost never on the field. They yep. would, and Baron's role in those nickel packages was different than any role that Tuff played. So, I don't necessarily know, but my thinking would be that you know if, if you're in a, a a nickel package, and I if you're in a nickel package. Barron and Pete are probably going to be your linebackers on the field in most mm-hmm. situations. I I, I think Tuff and Taraja can and probably will rotate in that base defense. You know, I think if you're if you're looking for another guy for those, you know, maybe those free free five packages where Barron was typically the guy alongside Malik and Pete in passing situations, maybe that's where Dallas Gantt comes in. Maybe that's where Kayvon Pope comes in. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of versatility here. Um, And I also think there's enough difference in in a lot of these guys that when I ask the question of, like, who's going to replace or who's going to rotate with Tuff, I think I ask it because I'm not really sure. Like, I think the obvious answer is to Roger Mitchell. But then I wonder, like you said, situationally, like, Baron Browning might be that guy who still comes in and plays middle linebacker in passing situations. But on first and second down, are you really going to rotate a middle linebacker? I'm not 100% sure on that. And I think that that's where Taraji Mitchell, like this is an important spring for him to just get his foot in the door. I know last year he had a little bit of injuries um, that were holding him back. Um, Third year now, he's going to be a junior. And I think it's unfortunate for all these guys that, well, I couldn't have recruited all three of these guys with the idea that they'd all be sitting on the bench and really, like, I think you can partially say it, like they could overtake the guy in front of them, but I think they also maybe imagined, I don't know, a Baron Browning would be gone, something like that. They might have not imagined that, that Tuff Borland would become a starter so early in his career, and all of a sudden they're left with seven guys we haven't even talked about, Justin Hilliard, really.
0: Yeah, and one of the questions we were asked this week by – Grand Lake Salina was any chance that one of one or more of the to be true junior linebackers, those being Taraja Mitchell, Dallas Gantt, Kayvon Pope, redshirt this year. And you've know, that's a question that, you know, we had talked about a little bit last year, I think, and, you know, wondered if that was something that should have happened. And, and I, to me, I think you look in hindsight and, and you think, Man, when these guys were true freshmen, yeah. you probably should have redshirted a yep. couple of them. Because they didn't play much then. They mostly just played on special teams. And you, you burned a year of eligibility that I think you know, those guys would probably benefit from having now. Do I think it will happen this year, though? I, I would guess no. Because I think, I think it, especially you got Taraja. You look at it last year. He was hurt. He missed a bunch of games before he had played four games. If they were going to redshirt him, that was their prime opportunity to do it, and they didn't do it. So, I'd be surprised. I do think all those guys are going to play this year, and, and you know, and I, and I think they are important, you know, parts of the depth chart and rotation. So, unless one of them, you know, suffers an injury that takes him out for a year, I'd be surprised if any of them redshirted.
1: Yeah, you so rarely see that this late in a career. I do think it is, like I think you mentioned the the roster. I think the roster was mishandled in that sense where like they didn't need to play all those guys when they were freshmen. Um, this and they was,
0: really only played on special teams.
1: Yeah, this is one more thing that you can blame Billy Davis for, I guess. Back all the way in 2020, you can go blame Billy Davis. Congratulations, everybody. Um, but you really can because... If, if one of these guys is a redshirt sophomore like one i think you'd feel a lot more confident about maybe where they're going to be in two years like the fact that they would have them on the, uh, to on the depth chart down the line and, and i think right now it's it's great for them right now to be so top heavy because they got a billion options like if, if they really screw this one up it would be hard to fathom because if, if, if three of seven guys, if you can't put three of seven guys on the field, I'm not, I'm not sure what you're doing. Um, but they, they, they made a mistake along the way. Um, and I think that if you look at what they did last year with Tommy Eichenberg and Craig Young, I think that shows you what you can do um, correctly, which is Craig Young they thought was further along and also healthy. And uh, they didn't redshirt him, and they redshirt Tommy Eichenberg, who I think maybe they think will – be here for four maybe five years and they want that option at least i think that's just the smart way to manage a roster roster
0: yeah yeah i mean it, it's and we have seen I, I think ryan day did a conscious effort to do that last year if you just look at the roster in general like we saw it at running back as yep, well running back crowley didn't red shirt but steel chambers did uh on the offensive line Harry Miller and Dewan Jones didn't redshirt, but you know Kamahi Ryan Jacoby did. So I I think you saw that last year where they tried to be strategic about okay, you know maybe the guy because I I think I think it is good to balance it that way yep. because I think you don't necessarily want to redshirt everybody because when you redshirt everybody that's when you get into these situations where all of a sudden you've got a logjam at a position. So I don't think you want always want to redshirt everybody, but I also think it makes sense to redshirt. Some people, instead of just – especially when it's – I mean, if I remember correctly off the top of my head in front of me, I think Dallas Gantt played like six snaps as a freshman. I think Taraja played like two. So, yeah. I mean it, – It's it, remarkable
1: that none of them redshirted. And
0: they they each played like 10 games on kickoff coverage, which, sure, they contributed in that area, but they did not get enough value out of those guys to now where you're looking at it where – now. Again, granted, if if I'm predicting who Ohio State's starting linebackers will be in 2021 right now, I would say Taraja Mitchell, Dallas Gantt, and Kayvon Poe. But we're looking at a reality for those three guys where they might all potentially really only have one year to really get to show what they can do. Yeah,
1: which is sort of crazy when you think about it. I know Ryan Day had maybe a few weeks ago talked about the importance of fifth-year seniors in the program. Like this is what they have this year. And then what they won't have in 2022, which is a crazy thing to say that we have to talk about 2022. But, like, let's be honest. They're talking about 2022 within the building. Like, they're thinking about, like, how will we look down the line? How do we keep Ohio State where Ohio State should be? Like, so we have to think about that too. And, no, I don't think they're going to wretched any of these three juniors right now unless, like you said, an injury happens, which is unfortunate for them because, like, right now, Unless unless uh, one of them wows and, and becomes maybe the starter at will, I think likely they'll at at, at most be be one year starters. And they do have some young
0: talent coming up behind those guys. You know, again, I think you know, I think that top seven are the guys who are going to play most of this year. They yep. got some. If you look at the future, you know, they have guys who just came in this year: Cody Simon, Mitchell Melton, Court Williams. So you know, they're going to have some talent behind those guys. I don't think they're in a you know dire situation by any means if they don't redshirt those guys this year but i you know i do think for their sake it you know it's they they've just kind of been put in a tough position where you know they've been stuck behind guys that are just one year older than them and they've had to wait their turn
1: mm -hmm. um silver sniper s any inside info on Cade stover moving to tight
0: end no i mean we 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 mentioned this last week i i know that it, it is being rumored out there i i uh I tried to get more information on it, really haven't. So we'll find out when spring practices starts, whether he's... I mean, this is a guy who started at linebacker, had moved to defensive end for the end of last season, and now rumor has it he might be moving to tight end. So we'll see what happens with him. Um, I don't think he'll be a linebacker. I think he's ever going to be a defensive end or at tight end. But uh, it, I don't have a whole lot there. I mean... I think he's a guy, considering how much he's moved around at this point, that you know, he's probably not a guy who's in line to play a lot in 2020, I would think. I think he's a guy who's probably going to be uh, developing for another year. And, I, and I would, I, to be honest, a year ago, I wouldn't have said that. A year ago, I thought he was a guy who might come in and be more of an early impact guy. And you know, that's just the way it goes sometimes. Uh, we'll get into it when we talk about cornerbacks in a sec, with Tyreek Johnson being one of those guys who I think came in as – People thought he'd be an early impact guy, and now he's going into his third year, and we're still kind of waiting to see what he can be. But uh, I think Cade Stover is a guy that, you know, they they might not know yet. They they, they might still kind of be working through where exactly he's going to end up. Uh, but we'll we'll start to get a little more clarity in a couple weeks.
1: Yeah, I think it's. Um, I think the one thing to mention there is I think it's important for him. By the time the season starts to get a position, because you're going to get... I think this spring. I think this spring he has got to get one because, you know, you just sort of get lost in the shuffle the longer you're around. And I think at tight end, maybe if he becomes a tight end, which I know has been the rumor, um, I think that there's more time given. I think that you you maybe have more time to develop there. Um, But especially if he moves to defensive end, like if he sticks there, I think you just got to you, I, I don't think you can waste any time with your development, especially because the way that he was talking to me when I was talking to him um, before the festival, it's like he felt really raw there still. Um, and if he's moving again, he's going to feel really raw in another position. And it's like, you just got to stop at some point and you just got to keep him out of position. And I know, um, I don't know, I think, I think he's an interesting case because like you said, he came in, I, I thought maybe he I don't know. Could push for some playing time. Push at least not to, at least not to redshirt immediately.
0: The good news of him is he did he did redshirt last year, so they, yes. he does yeah. still have four years eligibility. I think he's a really physically gifted guy. So I, I, I think he's somebody that, in due time, whatever position he ends up at, could be an impact player for the Buckeyes. But I, I think at this point, we're probably looking more toward twenty twenty one with him than we are of twenty twenty. In the
1: thirteen fine. seconds of spring practice, who are you gonna keep your eyes on?
0: Man, there's so many options. There linebacker, are linebacker, but I'll go with Taraja Mitchell because that's a guy that I think we've really been excited to see for a couple years now. Kind of expecting him to to break out and and have a chance to make an impact in that linebacker room, and you know we'll see if that door opens up for him this year. But I I think it could. So that's a guy wearing a new number, number three this year. Interested to see what he can do.
1: Yeah, I'll go with Baron Browning um, just because last opportunity for a guy who came in and we thought maybe could be a top 10 pick down the line as a linebacker and really just hasn't developed into the guy I think that we think he can be. Will he get there? I don't know. The spring's going to be big to have that first step and maybe even secure a starting job.
0: Speaking of new numbers, all is right in the world. Seven Banks is finally wearing number seven.
1: Thank God. This took way too long. And speaking of seven banks, he's going to be a very
0: important player this year because we talked about it before, about that secondary. And Sean Wade, we've talked enough about him. There's no doubt he is the most important player in that entire secondary. But with the style of defense that they want to play, with three cornerbacks and only one deep safety, they need at least two more cornerbacks to really step up in a big way and you know be able to to handle starting roles this year and i i think seven banks and cam brown are the first two guys you look at at least at that other outside spot as as guys who seem to be on a trajectory going into their third years of guys who could be ready to either both start this year or because we know Kerry Combs wants to rotate, I could see it being a situation where, I, as much as Kerry Combs likes to rotate, I I really don't think Sean Wade's ever coming off the field this year. I think he's too good, and I think you're, you're too inexperienced around him to really ever take Sean Wade off the field. But I could definitely see a situation where Seven and Cam split snaps at that other outside cornerback spot.
1: Yep, I think that's in play. Um, they're really interesting to me because... They weren't really the five-star guys that, that Sean Wade and Jeff Okuda were, but they're now guys that we've heard about for, for, for maybe a year or two, um, I know probably a full year for Seven Banks and maybe like six months or so for Cam Brown of, like these guys are coming on. And these guys, the light bulb's clicking a little bit and they've got a lot of physical talent and maybe they can be really good and maybe even great. and. I think that I, – I know personally, I've been pretty impressed by both of them in late-game situations. Big caveat there, late-game situations are all a heck of a lot different than what they'll face. Um, maybe not in the Big Ten where I'm not sure that you're going to look down the line and say, wow, these are just some incredible receivers. But at least later in the season when you get against um, – when you get into the championship season.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's – it's it's a difference. It's a it's a we did we did see, especially Cam, there were times with of our net, you know, being in and out of his wrist injury. We yep. we we did see him play some significant snaps. So they have they both thrown, played more than two
1: hundred snaps. Yeah, they snap.
0: have been thrown into a fire a little bit. It's not like they've only played in mop up duty, but there's still a big difference between doing that once in a while and and doing it every snap every game. So you know, I, I think those guys are talented. Like you said, I don't know Fair Jeff Okuda. I don't know Fair Damon Arnett. There's, there's a leap that has to be made there, going into their third years, and and so you know those are going to be two you know really important guys. I think this spring, you talk about five star guys. That brings us to Tyree Johnson, who's a guy who, I think his first two years at Ohio State really haven't quite gone the way that anyone expected. I think I think his development has been a little bit slower been expected and and i do think that even though he was more highly touted recruit in his class than seven banks and cam brown i think those guys have pulled ahead of him with that being said the door is now wide open for tyreek johnson if he can put it all together to come in and challenge for a starting spot this year
1: yeah. Um, I think the one of the most interesting parts about um, this this defense this spring is going to be the nickelback, the slot cornerback, and how they're going to work that without Sean Wade being that guy. And I think maybe even you imagine, like, in a perfect world, like, if, if, if you weren't bringing Sean Wade back with the contingency that he moves outside, I think in a perfect world, they might, like, they might love to keep him in the slot. But they're not going to. That's not the plan. That won't happen. So I think I think there. I I I do think there could potentially be situations.
0: Yes, I think situationally put, he could. I, I I think I think it was communicated to him that if you come back, you're going to get a chance to play outside. I think he wants that for his NFL stock, and I and I think
1: you know that's. It's a caveat you're willing to make
0: too. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and I think he can be a dominant player at that position. So I don't think that's a bad move, but. Um, I do. I do think there could be situations where you ask him to move back inside to the slot, and, and you know we saw that before. I mean, we saw you know Denzel Ward. He, he when he was the top corner, he'd still play in the slot sometimes. You know, moving a guy to a slot is not a demotion. There's, I think, there's situations where putting him, especially you know, if you, you're playing against a team that has a really good slot receiver or something, I think there might be situations where you, you, you do need to put him back in the slot, but it's not going to be an every-snap every, every snap kind of deal like it was last year.
1: Yeah, and the every-snap um, nickelback, slot cornerback, not 100% sure who it could be, and legitimately it could be really anybody. Like if you want to make the case that, all right, so they're going to play Sean Wade on the outside, and I don't know, Cam Brown or Seven Banks, one of those two guys also starts on the outside, you could make a case, well, the other guy – Maybe you should start in the slot. And I think that's reasonable. I think that's a reasonable possibility. The other interesting possibilities are, are like the main ones, are are Tyreek Johnson and, and Marcus Williamson. And it's just two guys who we just haven't seen a lot of yet. And I think that both should make people a little bit nervous and a little bit intrigued to like, what do they even really have in these guys? Which is remarkable because Marcus Williamson's a local guy who is a pretty highly ranked four-star prospect who went to IMG Academy and really hasn't done much and is about to be a senior, the only the the only senior um, true senior in the group um, and. Tyree Johnson came in as a five star prospect and really just hasn't done much in his first two years. Yeah, I think Marcus Williamson's gonna get a shot. I mean remember, he was a guy who was recruited by Kerry Combs yep. and was actually
0: coached by Kerry Combs for a year before Combs went to the Titans. So I think he's got a shot at that slot cornerback position. I mean I mean obviously the the elephant in the room here, and then we can address it is amir Reap was probably going to be the slot cornerback Mm -hmm. if it wasn't for the situation that happened off field so you know that that's an adjustment they have to make and it, it does increase the level of uncertainty in that secondary going into this spring but i do think it's an opportunity for a guy like marcus williamson to that you know he has a chance to seize where you know again a guy who who has been buried on the depth chart, I think battled some injuries as well in his Ohio State career. But he's going to have that chance. All these guys are going to have that chance this spring because they're they're certainly going to be rotating guys in and out all spring long trying to figure out who's ready to step up and be a starter.
1: Yeah, and the question I have too is, what is Kerry Combs going to look for in a slot cornerback? Because if you think about Tyreek Johnson, Marcus Williamson, not a lot of similarities there. Like Marcus Williamson is a is five ten one hundred eighty five. He's a smaller guy, quicker guy, maybe. Tyreek Johnson background is a safety six one, maybe closer to two hundred pounds.
0: Yeah, Marcus Williamson is more of your traditional slot corner mm-hmm. kind of body type and, and quickness that you look at.
1: More Denzel Ward than Sean Wade, even though they both right. had success there, which is why I'm not 100% sure what they're going right, to like. Right, because
0: Sean Wade doesn't necessarily fit the traditional profile of a corner. yet yeah. he was phenomenal at that spot last He's year. He's
1: basically the same size as Tyreek Johnson.
0: Right. <laughs> they even came from the same high school. Yes. so
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good question. I think that's one we don't
0: exactly know the answer to. I think we also, as much as Ohio State has preached that they want to keep the same style of defense we don't really know if they're going to to play free cornerbacks every snap like they did last year because i i I do think it it, while the coaches absolutely you know want us want us to believe that it's a it's a philosophical decision there and i and i I, i'm not saying it isn't because i think it is but i also think a Big, big reason why they, they had three cornerbacks in the field almost every play this year is because they had three cornerbacks who belonged on the field every single play. I mean, Jeff Okuda, Damon Arnett, and Sean Wade, two of those guys are about to be early-round NFL draft picks, and one of them could have been. So they needed—when you talk about having your best 11 on the field, those three were undoubtedly among your best 11 last year. You had to get them on the field. This year— I think it's probably pretty likely that you're not going to have three cornerbacks in your best 11. And so I I think because of that, you might have to adjust and you might have to use more two safety packages or or you might have to do some different things just depending on, on who emerges.
1: Yeah, I think there are probably like four or five reasons why they wouldn't use three cornerbacks as much. Like You can just go down the line of... One, they had three guys who were basically playing at a first-round level um, at cornerback, which is remarkable. Two, they had a guy in Sean Wade who was both really quick and really physical at the slot, and it sort of allowed them to do a lot of things that I think if you don't have a guy like Sean Wade, you just can't do. Three, you have Chase Young, and Chase Young just lets you get away with stuff and including that. Four, I think Jordan Fuller as a tackler is something that they're just not going to have next year. And I know I asked Kyle Jones this a few weeks ago because I think it's really interesting. In in this package, and if you do the one-deep safety look, it's really one-on-one if a guy breaks through the first two levels and gets to the third level. It's that last safety versus whoever um, is going to get tackled. And When it was Trevor Lawrence, Josh Proctor couldn't bring him down. If Josh Proctor can't bring guys down with, like, 95-degree consistency – I'm not really sure how you can play this this three corner look nearly as much as you did last year with with only one deep safety.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really good and important point because that middle safety, Jeff Halfley called it the eraser. That guy has to be rock solid on the back end, and if if he's not, putting a guy in that position could potentially be very dangerous for the defense and. I hate to define a guy by one play, but the reality is until this season starts, the play that people are going to remember so far from Josh Proctor's career is him getting juked out by Trevor Lawrence. And that's going to give people qualms about him being that middle safety, that one middle safety. I think Josh Proctor has a ton of talent, and I think he has a potential to be a star. But Jordan Fuller was... And Jordan Fuller, honestly, was probably the most underrated guy on the defense last year because he was just so rock solid on that back end. And I, I think the corners got more attention because they made more big plays. But you know, that role that Jordan Fuller played is so important on the defense. And, and, and
1: he's basically the opposite of what Josh Proctor is. Like He was sort of the safe guy in the back, back who was never going to really make any mental errors. He was always going to make the tackle. He wasn't really the ball hawking guy. Josh Proctor is like compared to Malik Harrison, like he's a crazy person back there. Like I think he's the kind of guy who, in a, in the perfect season, when you imagine what Josh Proctor can be, it's like a six seven interception season. Like you think of of, of the you've you've just heard his name compared to um, Malik Malik Hooker enough times that it's like, all right, now I have just I just have high expectations for him as a ball hawk in a way I didn't really have for Jordan Fuller, but. The role fit Jordan Fuller perfectly. And I just wonder this specific role, like how easy it to, is it to fit what Josh Proctor does well into it? I don't, you, and I, I don't know that right now. You
0: bring up Malik Hooker. I think, I think Marcus Hooker is another guy who's going to push for playing time at that safety spot this year. And I, I do think we're going to see more two safety looks this year. I, I think Proctor and Hooker are the two lead guys to play those roles. And and I, I do, I think for the multitude of reasons that you brought up, I, I, I do think they're gonna mix in more two safety looks. Do I think it's gonna go back to being their base? No. I think I think they do really believe in the the three deep zone coverage that, you know, they played so much last year. I think they still want that to be their base and it, and I, I think they have confidence that, you know, Proctor's gonna step up or Hooker's gonna step up at safety that Brown or Banks or Johnson or Williamson are going to step up at corner and allow them to continue to play that same defense. But I, I do think they're going to need to mix in some different looks this year just because I don't I – mean, I, I mean, I think to, – to not – I know BIA, no drop-off is Ohio State's motto. But realistically, to lose three guys as good as Jeff Okuda and Damon Arnett and Jordan Fuller and not have any drop-off, I, I don't think that's realistic. I, I, I think –
1: I couldn't imagine the secondary yeah. being as good. No, I, I think I think there's going to be some
0: more lapses on the back end this year. And what you got to hope is that you are able to work through those by the time you get to December and you might be playing Clemson or Alabama or someone like that in the college football playoff. Because I think against most teams, your secondary is going to be fine. I think you get to those elite teams, I don't know if the secondary is going to be fine. I think – I mean, I've said it before. I think secondary is – by far the biggest question on this team i think especially with what happened this past week i think secondary is by far the biggest question mark on this entire team and uh it's a good thing you have Kerry combs because there's not many other guys that you would want coaching a secondary through that than Kerry combs and i think that's a reason to have confidence that they're going to make it through but i do think there's going to be some growing pains for that group and I think there are a ton of question marks that have to be answered this spring.
1: Yeah, I should mention too that, like, the way I see it is, it's just sort of totally the opposite of the linebacker situation. In that, you know, they've got seven linebackers that can play all kinds of different positions, and they can throw all kinds of different packages. At in the in the secondary, like, I think the reason why you would not play as many three three cornerback packages is to get a second safety on the field. But my question would be, who's that second safety? Like could it be Marcus Hooker? Sure. But why should I have more confidence in Marcus Hooker than I would in a third cornerback? I'm not I'm not totally sure. I just think there's a lot of uncertainty at both second, at both safety and cornerback that like you can see some of the potential there, but there's not a lot of experience at those positions. And this is and this is once again like why even just having Sean Wade in the room is really huge yeah I mean can you imagine like the level of concern right now
0: <laughs> if Sean Wade wasn't no back
1: no this position would be a total mess yeah, I think they'd be in
0: enormous trouble if Sean Wade wasn't back hmm
1: yeah no he is
0: he's he's huge all right so we'll let you lead off this time cornerback safety whichever one you want to start with who's the guy that you're most intrigued by going into this spring
1: I'll just start with safety because it's, to me it's just I'm just gonna take the obvious pick um Josh Proctor is 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 my guy because we've known for a while that Josh Proctor is going to start. What 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 kind of starter is he going to be, though? Like, how good can Josh Proctor be? Do we get a sense of that in the spring? I don't really know, but I'm just interested to see him out there with the first-team defense and what it looks like and, and what people are people are saying about him.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I could, I could definitely say Marcus Hooker here because I, I do think that he's going to play – significant snaps this year and i think he is a guy that they need to be ready to play but another guy i don't know if he's a safety or linebacker or whatever but he's listed as a safety so i'll go ahead and use him here i'm really interested to see where court williams lines up i don't think he's a guy that's going to play a lot this year but we talked about the bullet this is a guy who is recruited to be a bullet and we don't really know if that position exists so i'm interested to see is he practicing with the safeties is he practicing with the linebackers where are they using him because he's a guy i don't necessarily know that he's going to play a lot in in 2020 but i think he's a guy that has the potential to be very important to their future
1: yeah i have literally no idea how they're going to use him which is what makes him so interesting um at quarterback i'll i'll leave tyreek johnson to you because i just imagine that that's going to be your guy um i'm going to say marcus williamson because i have literally no idea what to expect from him I can't say I've remembered uh, a single play of his that that I've seen on the field. I can't really say I know this is what he's really good at. He's been pretty silent since he's been here, um, and I've been covering the team his whole career, and I just don't really know much about him. I want to learn something about him because this guy really might—he might start this year, and I don't really know anything about him. Yeah, I mean Tyreek
0: Johnson's certainly an intriguing guy because he's—he's he's been so you know hyped up and, he, and he's a guy he, he's easily in the top five of guys that readers ask us what have we heard about him and i'm sure that will be coming again in a couple of weeks because uh so we'll i'll we'll definitely be watching him for that reason because we know you guys are going to ask about him so we we'll we're definitely going to watch him uh to make sure that we're prepared to answer that question for you but i mean really all those guys man i mean seven banks cam brown i mean those are i mean my guess would be that i that Seven banks and Cam Brown are going to play more than Tyreek Johnson in twenty twenty, just based on their trajectories of their career so far. So those are really important guys to watch this spring as well.
1: Dan's gonna have seven eyes. Dan's gonna be watching them all is his answer.
0: It's hard. I mean it, it's so hard because as Colin alluded to, you know, we typically only get to watch, you know, maybe a half hour we, we, we haven't been told exactly yet, you know, how much availability we're gonna get this spring. But yeah. you know, it's not a full practice. It's typically only a few practices each spring. And you want to watch everybody, and and you can't. So you, you you just try to, you try to watch as much as you can. And you know, Colin and I, and, and Zach Carpenter will be there with us as well. And we try to coordinate and try to make sure we're all watching different things. But it's it's so hard. A lot of times, you, you you leave one of those practices and you go, damn, I forgot to watch this guy, or or man, I wish I had looked at this, or you read someone else's practice observations and go, well, I didn't see that, so I'm guessing what this other writer on the ohio state beat observed is correct but i don't know because i didn't see it with my own eyes so it, it, it's very difficult they, they purposely make it difficult for us because they don't want us to be able to tell you everything that they're doing in spring practice but uh yeah it's we talk about all the guys we want to watch and then you get out there and you just try to watch as much as you can in a very short period of time
1: yeah and spring's impossible because at least in fall you have an idea of maybe i want to watch this spring you go and it's like i want to know what all 85 guys are doing right now <laughs> and you can't do that other guy i should mention though is cam martinez just because like where in the world is cam martinez well he's not in, not here this spring well so. i guess he's going to be in muskegon michigan yeah
0: colin's going to be going up to muskegon apparently
1: yeah. i apparently on the first day of spring practice i'm going to be making an impromptu trip because i forgot that cam martinez isn't an early enrollee even it's okay though, i did it even all, though i talked to i him did like it on national ago. signing
0: day i tweeted that Cam was going to practice on both sides of the ball this spring, which was incorrect because he's not going to be But the first spring. part
1: of the tweet was correct. But and Legend I Cavazos think-
0: and Ryan Watts are going to be interesting to watch too because yes. they only have five returning scholarship <laughs> corners. So you're going to, unless you bring in a transfer, you're going to have a freshman on your two deep. So in, an,
1: in a normal situation, I would never really expect either of those guys to be competing for playing time in year one. and like, this is a situation where it's like if they're competing for time in play in year one and if they're, like, starting, something has gone wrong because the guys in front of them should be better than them right now. They should be starting. But, like, who knows? We could go into camp and all of a sudden, like, Legend or, or Ryan Watts is just tearing it up. And that door is open for them. That yeah, door is open it is for them. If, wide if they
0: open. perform well in camp, they're going to have a chance to play as true freshmen. Question time? Yeah, we want to talk a little uh, basketball, but oh, we'll get to, we'll get yeah, to yeah. your football questions first and then save that for the end. A few other questions here. Kay Bonet asked us about Jeremy Ruckard. He said, Jeremy Ruckard is obviously a stud tight end who came in, obviously, is his words, a stud tight end. <laughs> I, I like Jeremy Ruckard, but I'm not going to say obviously. Ruckard is obviously a stud tight end who came in with an extremely high rating. Do you feel if Ohio State doesn't start targeting him more, that will hurt future recruiting at that position? I think that's a valid question, but I would also say that I think the damage has been done there. I don't, Unless Jeremy Ruckert goes out and has a 1,000 receiving yards this year, which I, I don't think is, is going to happen, I, I think the reputation that Ohio State doesn't throw the ball to its tight ends is already out there. I know that if I was a coach for another school and I was recruiting against Ohio State, that I would absolutely use that against Ohio State if they don't throw a ball to their tight ends. So I think it would take a, a monster year for Jeremy Ruckert to really change that perception. And just because of what precedent has told us and the amount of talent they still have at receiver, I'd be surprised if he had some you know 60-catch, 900-yard season. But... Absolutely, if a guy as talented as Jeremy Ruckert finishes this year with 15 catches or something like that, then that's absolutely going to hurt.
1: Yeah, it's like why do you get Chase Youngs because the Bosa brothers came through? It's like you're not going to get the next um, I don't know Antonio Gates because uh, I know Gates. Played, I know, I know, I know. I knew happening. that was, was going to go not poorly. A good, not a good <laughs> but. NFL, Antonio Gates, all right? are we on the same we're all on the yeah. same page here. Sorry, I didn't know who the number one tight end in the 2020 recruiting class was offhand, but I will get that next time. But the way I see it is, you know like who have their guys been? It's like Joe Royer, an in-state guy who was relatively low ranked for for an Ohio State target. You have a you have a commit in 2021 who is a three star prospect from Colorado. It's, it's like, what, is he going to hurt their target in recruiting? I'm not sure he's going to hurt it. I just think he's not going to improve it if he just does the same thing that Jeremy Record has done, um, Jeremy Record did last year. Um, like you said, damage has been done in a way. It's like people still want to play for Ohio State. They're not going to go out and get a five-star, high-end, four-star tight end every single year because people just know what Ohio State is, and that's fine. Ohio State has been pretty good with their tight ends, um, but no, I don't think they're going to get a Jeremy record every single year. Yeah, and we talked about it last week
0: that, you know, I I, I think they— should throw the ball to Ruckert Morris here. I think yes. they need to find ways to utilize him in the passing game because I do believe he's really talented. I think he's ready to take on that bigger role, and I think he can add a different dimension with, with his size, you know, his inside receiving ability. I think he can add a dimension that makes that passing offense more dangerous. But at the same time, they also still have a ton of talent at receiver. So I don't think they're going to force-feed Ruckert football. ball, and I also don't think if you're Ryan Day or Kevin Wilson – that you can be game planning thinking, well, we gotta throw the ball to Jeremy Ruckert four times today because we need to bolster our tight end recruiting. At, at the end of the day, you've gotta you've gotta call the plays that help you win the game. I, I do think that for the strength of Ohio State's offense, it would be in their best interest to throw the ball more to Jeremy Ruckert this year. But I, I also don't think you're gonna force feed it.
1: Next question from Lil Trouty. Who would you rather take home to meet your parents, Larry Johnson, Luke Fickle, or Mike Vrabel? Well, this one's easy for me because my dad is a diehard
0: New England Patriots fan, so I think my dad would probably love to meet Mike Vrabel. So I don't think that's really what you're asking, but that's going to be my answer because the guy, my dad would definitely uh, love, to, love to meet Mike Vrabel.
1: Yeah, that is the perfect answer for the uh, Dan Hope household. Um... I don't know. I, I mean part of me is just like Larry Johnson just seems like my parents kind of guy. <laughs> but Mike Vrabel is Mike Vrabel and I just want to see Mike Vrabel meet my parents, so I'm definitely gonna pick Mike Vrabel. <laughs> <laughs> As a Mike Mike Mike
0: Vrabel is probably you know, not the guy. If he was your girlfriend's dad, that he'd probably intimidate you a little. bit.
1: Oh, that that would be the question: is if if you, if your girlfriend's dad was one of these guys, who would who would you least like it to be? It's Mike Frabel. <laughs> and Mike In it, it, ain't even close. Yes, it's,
0: it's it's Mike Frabel. He's 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 an intimidating he's an intimidating man. Uh, yes. Great coach, uh, the, and I think that's part of why he's a great coach. But he's he's an intimidating guy. He is not a guy that you would want to mess with.
1: Last question, Genon Juiced. What are the most hallowed numbers in Ohio State football history? One selection per category: offense, defense, overall. And Juiced may not know this, but he is not talking to people who really are going to be just dialed in on this answer. Yeah, I was going to say,
0: like, ask like uh, our Matt Guttridge this question. He would, oh he gosh. would be great at answering this. Um, Give it to Remy. Yeah, this is a this is a hard one uh for me i mean i mean i think the obvious answer is 45 with archie griffin you know there i mean that's you know you still see you know decades after he's played you still see the the 45 jerseys all over the stadium so you know to me i think that's the obvious overall offense however you want to go with that you know i think uh you know uh we just we talk about number changes with uh chris olave he's switching to number two next year I think that's a, a pretty iconic number when you look at some of the guys who have had that position. Uh, Chris Carter, of course. J.K. Dobbins with number two last year. There's been a lot of uh, great players.
1: I've heard of Chase Young before.
0: Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. It's there's it like offense, defense as well. I mean, I think number two is certainly up there. You know, number 10 for Troy Smith. 27 for Eddie George. A little 97 action. 97 for Babosa's 33 for James Laurinaitis. Uh, those are some of the ones that that come to mind for me with admittedly not giving this a ton of thought.
1: Yeah, I think forty five is the cool one because it's like, how in the world did someone so good wear number forty five? And I maybe there's a story there, but I don't know. Well I think part of it's just the era too. Yes. Like I think <laughs> you know, like I think back then,
0: forty five, like where Jersey numbers were not such a big thing, and now I sound like a get off my line kind of guy talking about uh jersey numbers but uh yeah
1: i think that's a big part of it i mean like you know, i'll be I, disappointed if justin fields doesn't wear 45 is what i'm trying to say <laughs> that would be something it would be something I,
0: I i would think archie would probably give justin fields permission if he wanted to wear 45 that would be that would be interesting i would be surprising
1: i'll cross my fingers think, on that one i think
0: he will stick with number one we have about Ten minutes left here, so I wanted to talk for a few minutes about Ohio State basketball because the Buckeyes have now won five of their last six games, and I think we can finally put to bed the question of is Ohio State going to make the NCAA tournament? Oh, I'm, I
1: thought you were going to say we can finally say Ohio State basketball is back.
0: No, no, I don't think we can say that. <laughs> okay, but, okay, Just but I, I make think sure. I think we can uh, unless they lose the rest of their games. They're going to make the NCAA tournament.
1: Yeah, it's um, it's a conversation. Uh, personally, I'm glad we don't have to have because I just feel like a lot of um, people who are who are more casual observers of the basketball team and sort of the especially the ones who. Went through the lo- the five losses in six games and were like, well, the program is just dead six now. And seven, actually. Or six and seven, yeah. Um, a lot of people were wondering how they're going to make the tournament. Well, they're going to make the tournament, and it's um, pretty clear right now. The I guess the the one thing that can happen if you want to just play like a disaster scenario, if they don't if they, if they don't win enough of their home games and they lose to Nebraska, and I don't know if they win maybe one more game in the regular season, then I guess we can have the conversation. I'm still pretty confident that, that they're going to be in regardless of, of, of a total disaster scenario, but I'm, for one, I'm just, honestly, it's my main takeaway. I'm just glad we don't have to have this conversation again. Yeah, no, I, I, I think, you know, we can move on. Now, now, granted, with that being said, when we do this podcast
0: next week, we could be talking about Ohio State being on a two-game losing streak again. Because 100%. they've got yep. two big games coming up this week uh, against Iowa and against Maryland, who are both top 25 teams. And you look at the rest of our schedule. I mean, Nebraska's the one you gotta win. You know, Illinois, I think is a team you should beat. But you know, you, you know, Caleb Wesson probably said it best. Uh, uh, what is it? A win,
1: a win in the tens. So,
0: I, I don't even remember the exact quote, but it was a good quote. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it was something like a, any win is good in the 10 or something like that. You get the gist. The gist is. The gist is Caleb Wesson calls the Big Ten the 10, and that's funny.
0: Whether it's Chris Holtman, Caleb Wesson, you talk to anyone on his team, they recognize how deep and how challenging the Big Ten is this year. So they're going to appreciate every win. Even, even if blowing a 20-point lead against Rutgers and only leading by three in the final minute is cause for concern for most people. They're not looking at it that way because they recognize how tough it's been to win in the Big Ten this year. They have won five of their last six, so I think at this point, at least temporarily, it's fair to say they've turned the corner. At this point, where you know the slump that they were in, I
1: think they've broken out of that. You know, have a rest of a way. I, I w- personally, I wouldn't say they turned the corner. I think I think it's I think what what the second thing you said is is more I, I don't think really a, a corner has necessarily been turned. I think a corner has been peaked. Like, I think, I think you can maybe see how they um, become the team that they want to become, and especially in the last game against Purdue. Like, I think I think that that was as important a game as, as really any they had in the stretch for one main reason. It's really just the defense was the best defense that I think you've seen Ohio State play in two months at least. And I think you can make a case it was their best defensive performance of the year. Um a little bit sneaky, and I know most people probably wouldn't think this just because of the way that the Big Ten is, and, and maybe you've seen Ohio State score. Ohio State's not exactly scoring in the hundreds in, in, in Big Ten play. But I, here, per Ken Palm, here are some of their their stats, just offense, defense, because I think it's interesting. Like their, their, their defense is, has been sort of straggling behind their offense for the duration of the Big Ten. So their adjusted offensive efficiency is fourth in the Big Ten. Adjusted defensive efficiency is eighth. Effective field goal percentage on offense is first in the Big Ten. Effective field goal percentage defense is 10th. Three-point percentage in the Big Ten is first. Defensive three-point percentage is 14th. Like, those are some pretty stark differences. Um, And if you look up and down, like, I think it's just pretty clear that the defense hasn't been as good as, as Chris Holtman wants it to be. And I think when Chris Holtman came to Ohio State, you imagined that defense was going to be his calling card a lot of the time. And especially on this team where I think Caleb Wesson is a really good offensive threat. But around Caleb West, there's just questions. There's, there's, there's like, can't, how can you get consistent play out of Dwayne Washington? Like, can Justin Orange be on the floor long enough to to become like the 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 consistent three point threat? Maybe you want him to be uh, without DJ Carter. What can CJ Walker be? Can Luther Muhammad consistently shoot the three? Uh, EJ Liddell maybe hasn't come on in the way that some people wanted him to offensively. You're never going to run plays for for Kyle Young. And so there are just a lot of questions of when, when the when it gets a little bit tougher um, in, in, in a month, and, and the Big Ten tournament starts, and then you get into the NCAA tournament. You know, I think that you're going to have to have your defense rise in a way that you just didn't see for about two months there, which to me was more worrisome than anything you saw on offense. Yep, I completely agree. I think I think if you're
0: going to be able to win in the tournament, if you're going to win in March, you've got to be able to win games like the game against Purdue. I. I it, even though their offensive numbers have been pretty good, the reality is you still really only have one primary scorer in Caleb Wesson, and if he's off his game, it really really hurts their offense. And so I think it's going to be crucial for them to be able to play good defensive basketball. I think if, if in March if, if you're you know giving up easy frees. And, and and you're forcing your offense to score a lot of points. I don't think that's going to be a recipe for success for Ohio State. Basketball. Yeah, and
1: we've seen both against um, at home games against Wisconsin and Minnesota that like this is a team that when it got tough at the end of the game and it was close, their offense just didn't come through, and their defense just needs to get them in a position where if the, where it's the defense that, that that needs to win the game rather than the offense. Like this is not a team where when it comes down to it. You don't want. If you're an Ohio State fan, you don't want the ball with two, with two seconds to go down two points. That's, that, that's just an uncomfortable position for this team to be in just because I, I just don't know if they have that guy. They don't have a Cassius Winston on their team. They have Dwayne Washington. They have Justin Arns. They have Caleb Wesson. These are, these, these are good offensive players. I think Caleb Wesson can be a great offensive player, but the guys around him, I don't know. You're not going to find that consistency that some other teams have. you got to have that defense playing at the level it did against Purdue. Buckeyes are on the road at Iowa on Thursday, back
0: home against Maryland on Sunday. What do you think? Can the Buckeyes win at least one of those? I think uh, uh,
1: I think you want a split out of these two. Like, I think you're okay with the split. Obviously, you'd love to win them both. <laughs> That's staying the obvious. But I think that you're okay if you win one of them. They're both pretty hard. I think that the one thing I'll look at in Iowa um, – can this team defend a really good offensive team on the road because I just talked about the the offensive numbers. I was first in the Big 10 in adjusted offensive efficiency. So, they're going to be a huge test to to an Ohio State team that really has, has struggled on the defensive end and they're they're a good shooting team too. Ohio State hasn't defended the outside shot well. I it, it's going to be a fascinating challenge also This is Justin Arnott's time for revenge, baby. (laughs) uh, Did did he have 27 points against Iowa last year?
0: uh, No pressure, Justin. Yeah, Justin's been pretty hot shooting a free lately, so uh, we'll see if he can keep it up. We're about out of time for this week, so I want to thank you guys again for uh, listening to our breakdown of the defense. Hopefully we were able to answer all of your questions that you've asked and uh, spring football right around the corner. So uh, next week we'll spend some more time previewing spring practices which begin on march 2 and you know probably talk a little bit about the nfl scouting combine as well since uh, 11 buckeyes are going to be in indianapolis next week and i'll be there as well so thanks again for listening in guys and we hope you tune in again next week